Following Jesus is costly. I'm reading a book now in bits and pieces by Heift and Linsky entitled Leadership on the Line. Haven't read all of it, but enough to get the gist of it. The theme of the book, if you had to name one, was that leadership is hard. Leadership is risky. And part of what makes it so they contend, and I think they're exactly right, is often what we want from our leaders in every arena of life is not necessarily to make things better, but to make things easier for us. I think part of what leads us down that road of thought is the explosion of things that we have now that make life convenient over the last hundred years just Think of the things that make life easier, things that our grandparents and great-grandparents could hardly even dream of. We have machines that wash our dishes and that wash our clothes. You can make phone calls from anywhere. Just try to find a phone booth anywhere. Superman could not exist today because he could not find a phone booth. Air conditioning is expected everywhere, even in our cars. You remember the days when there was no air conditioning in cars? We used to say when I was growing up that we had 260 air. You roll down two windows and you drive 60, and that's your air conditioning. What percentage of shopping? I don't know what the percentage is, but I'm sure it's increasing. The percentage of shopping now that's done online as opposed to shopping that's done in the store. You don't even have to go to the store for many things. A few strokes on the keyboard and here it comes to your house. Maybe even the next day. We like for things to become more convenient. Our expectation of convenience has risen dramatically in my lifetime. Now, don't get me wrong, I am not standing in line to turn my conveniences back in. I appreciate them each and every one. But however, we do expect things to be convenient now, don't we? Our expectation of convenience has shifted what we expect of God. We really want Jesus to make it easier for us. To the point that sometimes I wonder if rather than us following Jesus where he leads, if we really wouldn't prefer he follow us down the paths that we would conveniently choose. Have you noticed that Paul did not, for a moment, say that his life serving Jesus was easy or convenient? In fact, he said just the opposite. When you read the list that was in the the scripture from 2 Corinthians that Paul said, here's what he said was his experience of following Jesus. That following Jesus brought him afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, tumults, labors, watching, and hunger. Now, how about if we use that for our recruiting campaign to come to Grace Church? Come join us, follow Jesus, and you'll get beatings and imprisonments and afflictions. Well, the line forms to the right. Paul was saying that following Jesus was not convenient. It was hard. 
he said that it was difficult and oftentimes uphill. I've been thinking, why does Jesus allow it, allow following him to be difficult? Why, why does he allow that? Wouldn't it be nice if we could take a vote right now? Wouldn't we all think it would be nice if we could just start following Jesus and everything would just smooth right out? By Wednesday of this week, everything would be easier and just rolling downhill so conveniently if we just started following Jesus. So why does God allow challenges to remain? I have had two thoughts on this regard. First is this. This is one of the reasons that I really believe that Jesus allows following him to be hard. Firstly, this, we love what cost us something. Jesus said as much so when he said that where your treasure is, where the things are that you sacrifice for, that cost you something, there will your heart be also. I, for years, thought that Jesus got that backwards. So let me help you with this, Jesus. For years, I thought that the way it worked was when we are passionate about something, when we already love something, then we will sacrifice for it. Then we will give our treasure our best for it. For years, I thought that was how it worked. And there is truth in that, but the opposite, as Jesus said, it is also true. We love that which we sacrifice for. Jesus was right. Who knew? When I was growing up, there was a guy in the same town named Danny. He was about six, seven, give or take, years older than me. His parents gave him everything he wanted. No secret, the whole community knew it. If he wanted it, he got it. The only standard for him getting something in this world was just, I want it, and it would show up. For instance, when he got his driver's license, his parents got him a brand new Corvette. That was a cool car. I mean, me and my friends, we would salivate over that. A brand new Corvette, but he paid nothing for it. It cost him nothing. He had no sacrifice in it at all. It was just given to him. I happened to be in the front yard the day he drove down my street in that Corvette. Now that's where the normal part of this story ends. Because he had on top of this Corvette a 16-foot aluminum John boat turned upside down on the roof of the Corvette. No rack on the car, nothing between the boat and the car, just sitting flat on the roof of the car. To make it even better, the boat was not even tied onto the car. He had one hand out of the driver's side window holding it on, and somebody in the passenger seat had their hand out of the other side holding this boat on top of the car. The wind was catching the boat, and it was lolling around. You could just see it grinding the paint right off the roof of that Corvette. But not only that, the wind was also catching it so the boat would rock back and forth. And it, you could see it going down the straight, not only lolling side to side, but it would go down to the front and crash onto the hood of that Corvette. And, and then it would tip to the back and crash on the trunk. Uh, of, it was just eating 
that car alive. I was horrified. This was a really cool Corvette. It was like I was watching somebody just mess up some national treasure or something. It was a horrific moment in my life. It should be a rule that we follow, and we'll say it in King James English because it sounds more important that way. Thou shalt not carry an aluminum John boat on top of your <laughs> Corvette. It didn't matter to Danny. He had no sacrifice in that car. It cost him nothing. He fully knew that if he messed that one up, another one would just show up. We tend to be casual about what we've not had to struggle over or sacrifice for. Here's part of why I really think Jesus allows following him to be hard. He allows that so that we won't be casual in our service of him. When following Jesus is hard, it can increase our love for something. We tend to love that which we sacrifice for, that which is hard. I forgot who said it, but I think it's true that the church is always at its best when it is not accepted by the community around it. The church is always at its best when it's been ostracized and persecuted. We had out in the Welcome Center for some years this poster of Christians that were persecuted around the world and asking us to pray for them as well we should because there are sisters and brothers that follow Jesus along with us that are risking their very lives to do so. Hard to be casual about following Jesus when it costs you that way. And we should pray for them, but I also hope they will pray for me. Because it's far easier for me to be casual about Jesus than it is them. Peter Cartwright was a Methodist preacher. He started preaching in 1802. He was known for his colorful appearance and his direct manner. In 1855, the National Magazine wrote an article about this colorful person. As to his appearance, that 1855 article described Peter Cartwright this way. It said he was war-torn and weather-beaten, his face wrinkled and tough, his eyes small and twinkling, and his hair looked as if he had poked it into a bag of Kilkenny cats and had not had time to comb it since. As for his direct manner, how is this for being direct? He once told future president, then General Andrew Jackson, that he would be damned to hell if he did not repent. That's pretty direct. This gentleman spent 50 years taking the gospel to places where only crows and Methodist preachers would venture. In describing what his 50 years were like in this article, Peter Cartwright had this to say. 
He said, I had been from my father's house preaching the gospel about three years. It was now 500 miles yet to go before I arrived back home. My horse had gone blind, my saddle worn out, my bridle reins had been eaten up and replaced at least a dozen times. My clothes had been patched till it was difficult to detect the original any longer. I had just 75 cents in my pocket. By the time I reached the Ohio River opposite Maysville, the money was gone. My parents received me joyfully. I tarried with them several weeks. My father gave me a fresh horse, a bridle, a saddle, some new clothes, and $40 cash. Thus equipped, I was ready for another three-year absence to preach the gospel again. That's what his following Jesus was like. Hardships, difficulties. For 50 years, he chose to subject himself to that so he could follow Jesus. It was hard. Jesus did not make it easy for Peter Cartwright. But his 50 years of labor, described this way, led to some 8,000 baptisms credited to him. And some 10,000 new church members. At his retirement, Peter Cartwright had this to say. With all the losses and crosses, labors and sufferings peculiar to the life of a Methodist circuit-riding traveling preacher, I would take the same track over and over and over again with the same religion to bear me up rather than be President of the United States. I ask your prayers that you will remember an old man who has spent his long life in the service of the church. And I would do it again. He endured all that he went through because he loved Jesus. That's true. But all that it's also true that his love for Jesus was increased by all that following Jesus cost him. Jesus allows following him to be hard so that we won't be casual about him. Peter Cartwright could not be casual about following Jesus. Paul could not be casual about following Jesus. Nor can we. It's hard to be casual about that which costs you something. We love what we sacrifice for. There's another part of this. Jesus allows it to be hard because the things that are hard forge something they, inside us. They make us into something we never would have been otherwise. I remember when I first stepped on the campus as a student at Duke Divinity School, I was still shocked that they had accepted me as a student. I knew it would be hard. I'd heard the stories of students that had been there before about the reading load, the workload, and they were not wrong. Average reading load was eight books required per class. Some 120 pages of paper average per semester were due. And then there was the test, the reports, the other things on top of that. I was scared. Intellectually, I knew that this school had accepted some of the brightest and best from places around the world. 
I knew I did not have the intellectual gifts that many of the other students there had. I knew that I, on that front, I was bringing a pocket knife to a sword fight. So I was frightened to be there. I remember calling Julie a number of times that first semester in tears. Said, I, I, I don't think I can do this. I just, I don't think I'm going to make it. Soon after landing on the campus there, I became good friends with a guy from Virginia, Bill Thomas, this great, big, hulking guy. If you don't think we made a pair walking across campus together. Turns out he was just as scared as I was. In order to get through, we both developed this habit of going to class through the day, and five nights a week, we would stay in the library until they kicked us out at 1045. We doing that just to, just to keep up. After the library closed, it was our habit to hang out in the building or in the parking lot back behind the Divinity School and talk about how hard it was, how scared we were, about our fears, about life, about what it was going to be like once we were out of school. We called these our 1045 conferences. The three years of graduate school went by unbelievably fast. That's how it works, isn't it? Turns out that we both had our very last exam on the very same day in May of 1983. We kept up our habit of staying in the library till they kicked us out until the very last. The night before we both had our final exam the next day, we had stayed in the library till it closed. And after it closed, we left and we stood in the parking lot for what we both knew would be our last of our 1045 conferences. We said some things to one another that we needed to stay, and then Bill went silent. That was very unlike him. He was looking up at this huge Gothic building that twisted and turned different directions that was the Divinity School. And there was the image from this parking lot beyond the Divinity School of the huge, inspiring Duke Chapel rising up above that. He was staring at all that. And when Bill finally spoke, he said, I'm going to miss this place. I'm glad I came. Don't miss the irony of that. For three years, we had complained and fussed and cried and sweated over making it through this place and had much to say about how hard it was. And now he's going to say he will miss it. But I really think I knew what he meant. What he was giving homage to was the fact that how hard that place was had forged something inside him that never would have been had it not been as hard as it was. Can't be casual over that which cost us something. 
But we can't become who we can become without challenges and hardships and things that are difficult, without hills to climb. We can't become who it is that God has designed us to be. Why does Jesus allow serving him to be hard? Why did he allow that for Paul? Why does he allow that for us? Well, firstly, it's to rescue us from being casual about Jesus. We love what we sacrifice for. And then there's this, that is hard. The things that are hard mold something inside us that would never be without the hard times. Jesus allows serving him to be challenging to cost us something. Didn't Jesus say, whoever would follow me must pick up the cross? Maybe that's a gift. Who knew? And all God's people together said, Amen. Amen.